If you open your Bibles at this time to Acts 17, we don't have a message where I'm exegeting a text. So if there's anybody here visiting this morning, know that we typically work through a passage of scripture, whether it's a big picture or a small picture. <coughs> this morning, I'm just going to read a text and I'm going to explain how it fits in. Um, it's a text of scripture that I used when I had the opportunity to speak to about 150 Egyptian women, and I'll explain that as we go through. Um, I'm going to talk about my trip to Egypt that I took from September 9th through September 23rd. Carl was with us from September 9th through September 19th, but Becky and I were there from the 9th to the 23rd. This is a message that's going to highlight the trip and review the trip, but it's not going to give you all the details, but it's, this message is designed for that purpose up there. You know, someone takes a vacation, how's it changed your life, right? You're excited that somebody took a vacation or went somewhere. It doesn't impact your life. I want this to impact your life. So, <coughs> I apologize with the cough. We're still struggling with it. You can pray for me. But what I'd like to do is go through three main areas that I believe this trip blesses you. And... We joined um, three other churches. Mark Flagey, whom you all know, um, was a key person in this trip, as well as a man named Joseph Sammy. Joseph Sammy is a key leader at Blackhawk. Blackhawk is the church in Fort Wayne that um, David Jeremiah started maybe 40, 50 years ago. And when you see us in the same color T-shirts, the people of Blackhawk wanted us at different times to wear the same T-shirt so that the people that were with us would be identified. There were about 35 people on this trip, and there were some kids that went. They, they wanted us to go as um, uh, they wanted the kids to go to learn about missions. And here's an interesting fact. Um, a lot of times you don't... Um, you, you don't wonder, you wonder how much impact in a, a short-term missions trip has. One of the facts that came up, and this is why they took the kids, is they have found out that a lot of people will go on a short-term mission trip, and maybe 25, 30 people will go on a short-term mission trip, and it really doesn't impact the majority of them, but they are finding out that often you ask a missionary, why did they go off into the mission field, and they're finding that it's like a high percentage of missionaries have said, I went on a short-term mission trip, and it greatly impacted my life, and I ended up being a missionary for life. So I thought, wow, that's really fascinating. I would never have known that. Let me tell you a little bit about Egypt. Egypt is called, is, as an official name, is the Arab Republic of Egypt. The Arab Republic of Egypt is the official name. Cairo is the capital, it's the largest city of Egypt, while Alexandria, the second largest city, is an important industrial and tourist hub in the Mediterranean coast. It is the 14th largest country in the world with over 100 million inhabitants. Egypt has one of the longest histories of any country tracing its heritage back to the Nile Delta, back to the, they, Wikipedia says the sixth or fourth century millennia. Ancient Egypt saw some of the earliest developments of writing, agricultural, um, urbanization, organized religion, and central government in all of human history. 
You've got the Giza necropolis, the Great Sphinx, the, the, the area of Memphis, Thebes, Karnak, Valley of the Kings, many of these places I went to and I'll try to show you. Egypt, amazingly, was the early center of Christianity. We went to places they believed Jesus was at when he was from age, you know, infant to after being born to age two, and places where the apostle Mark, they knew, founded churches. It was absolutely fascinating. But now, in the seventh century, Egypt has been influenced by the Muslim religion. When we talk about the Muslims, you don't talk about them as Muslims. You call them the majority. And they are primarily Sunni majority. And, and so it's the official language. Islam is the official language. And 87% of the people identify as the majority party. When you're born, you're given an ID, and it is stamped what religion you are. And it's critical we understand this. Mark Flagey told me that churches are growing very large over there in Egypt. And one of the things we got to do was to see that, okay? And like a church that we were at in an area um, called Sohag went from 40 to 240 in just a very short amount of time. One church had an outreach where they had 6,000 people, and 1,000 people came to know the Lord. That's an incredible number. And I'm going to tell you this. What you need to understand is we, we saw the increase in the church. We saw a lot of people who were believers, and we're just overwhelmed. But after, after 12, 13 days there, I had the opportunity to sit down with the president of a the seminary that is based in Alexandria. They do a lot of work in Cairo. I'll show you his picture later. And he was talking about the difficulty of finding pastors and churches where majority converts could go. And I'm scratching my head. I'm saying, we're in a church that has gone from 40 to 240. We're, we're at church, some churches like four or 500 people. That's amazing to see that many people. What do you mean you can't find pastors? Because we thought we were at a few of these. And then he goes, that's when it was made very, very clear to me that when we're talking about 1,000 people coming to the Lord and we're talking to church growing by 200 or 300 or 400, we are talking about people who were stamped Coptic Christians when they were born. And Coptic Christians make about 12, 13% of the population. So if you have 86, 87% being Muslim, maybe a fragment of people who are another religion. But remember, Christianity had almost its beginnings as the Apostle Mark comes into Egypt, and many of these people have just a heritage, like, you know, you could say just a general Protestant or general Catholicism, and they're really not born again. It's those people that have the freedom to convert because they're already labeled Christianity. But the Muslims, the Muslims, the majority, when they come to faith, you don't trust them. You can't trust them. You don't know if they're genuine. And because of the activities I'm going to show you, you're going to see why 
they are so leery to integrate them. And they are fearful whenever a majority person says, I'm a believer, and they come to faith. The church, even the, ch- the church that is growing and just recently, you know, say, oh, wow, we're growing. This is great. Let's bring everybody in. Uh-uh. They're very leery, and they make the majority of people feel that they're not wanted. Okay? So you say, you know, it sounds like, wow, this, the church is really great, and everything's wonderful. No, it's not. And this is something for you to pray for. Um, so let me just see what I can show you. Um, obviously, I'm going to talk about sightseeing. And the person who took this picture, I'm really bummed because they didn't get the top of, this is the, the, um, the biggest pyram- pyramid out there. And obviously, um, um, the, the, Carl, my wife, and myself, that was the entrance. We didn't go into this one. We went into the other one. But I, we had the opportunity to do sightseeing. And the reason also we did sightseeing, you have to know, you can't go into Egypt to say you're doing church work. You have to get a visa, and you have to say, we're, we're going to do touristy things. And those touristy things are reported to the government. And if you don't do touristy things, they could come in and kick you out. All right? And we'll, I'll show you something that you'll just, like, be amazed at later. So, um, whoops. Make sure. So, yeah, we, we did some touristy things. We got the opportunity to go to the, go to the Sphinx and very small. Um, I, some of you remember my slides from being there a couple of years ago. It's very, 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 very um, small. You'd think it'd be a lot bigger, okay? But uh, I didn't know how this was going to show off. This is a map that was Becky got the opportunity to stand in front of. And this is up here is Alexandria. And then all the way down here is an area called Abu Simple. Have any of you, anybody watched the new movie, the um, Death on the Nile movie? You ever, anybody? Okay, a few of you watched it. That is down here, okay? And it's just a mammoth temple. I'm, I'll, I'll show you some pictures. Why is that down here? Because Ethiopia and Sudan is down here, and it, it is on the Nile, and they wanted that giant temple to be there so that when you rode your boat up you knew that the gods of Egypt were big and they're going to get you so okay we'll talk about that so when so Becky and I went from here to here it was amazing because up here is Cairo up here right there is Giza that's where the pyramids are but right over here is where Sohag is this is the this is the Red Sea and we went to a city called um, Hergada, Hergada. So two main cities that we went to were um, Sohag and Hergada, but we spent a lot of time in Cairo. In Cairo, we were introduced to the fact that there was like a million and a half to five million Sudanese refugees. All right? And we, we had an opportunity to minister to them. Um, I can't tell you, I, I, I've even lost count. We may have had four or five airplane flights. We were constantly flying from Cairo to maybe Sohag, then back up, then over to Hergada, then back up. We even took a, <coughs> a night train one time, and that was fascinating. And then Becky and I took a trip down the Nile. <laughs> I treated her. 
<laughs> to a, a boat ride down the Nile. And, and so basically we went from tip to tip. All of life, when you understand Egypt, this is the Nile River. And on maybe five miles on each side, on five miles on each side is where all the life is because everything else is desert. And Egypt is always dealing with sand and you're constantly feeling dirty. And um, it, it was, it's, just, it's just an interesting awareness. And we'll, I'll talk about that in a second. So what I want to do <coughs> is how does this bless you? Okay, this trip, what does it bless you? And if I come back and I'm gonna report to you, I'm gonna report to you that when you go to Egypt, there's like three main things that you can see that impact you and try to categorize this. You understand how God's curses have impacted the people in Egypt, okay? God has put curses out there. And like in Genesis 3, and I'm not gonna have you turn there, is the fact that, is the fact that the ground has been cursed. Now, wait a second. Now I'm just remembering because I just got off the plane. I told you to turn to Acts 17. And let me just explain. In Acts 17, the reason I had you turn there was that this is a message that I gave to the women. In verse 30, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to, to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which the world would judge the world when a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who he's appointed being furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And that's a great evangelism passage, almost up there with Matthew 28, in the sense that we need to know, the whole world needs to know this, right? That, that there's gonna be a judgment, but the times of ignorance, you see that line, times of ignorance? It talks about the fact that when God's let the world go from the Tower of Babel, he said, fine, Go, have your way. You wanna do what you wanna do. You guys are gonna live your way. And it's not until thousands of years later that he says the times of ignorance are over and I'm gonna let everyone come back to have a relationship with me through Jesus Christ. And that's a simplified expression of, of God's big program, but it is true. And when you go into Egypt in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God tells Adam, and you, you go back there on your own to look at it, he talks about how the ground's cursed and you're going to see that it's gonna be hard for you to make a living. Listen, sometimes we lose out on this because we're in America and we have so much abundance and we don't think that the, it's really that bad. But when you go to Egypt and you just see, like this is what I was trying to show you, this is us, Becky and I, are going down the Nile River, and you see the green, green grass, and then on the other side, it's just, it's just desert. And it's kind, of, it's kind of funny how, did you pick up on there? They have solar panels. Some people have solar panels in the middle of that, all right? Um, but they got the huts, but all the way down, whether it's, whether this is in the middle of Egypt, but whether you're talking, you're, you know, you're even dealing with Cairo, the heart of life there is the Nile River. And the Nile River, I always, when I was a kid, I would always think, wow, it's flowing from the Mediterranean Sea, going, you know, 
from the north to the south, but it's not. It's going from the heart of Africa flowing up with fresh water. And it's that fresh water that feeds everything. I got to tell you, I, I, there was a situation where I couldn't go with Becky, and she had, our guy took her on this little boat ride, and these guys were giving her tea, all right? And, and they were making tea on the boat, and, and they said, Becky, would you like some tea? And Becky goes, sure, I'd like some tea. And the guy took a pitcher and dipped it into the Nile River and <laughs> made the tea. And you got to understand, people are bathing, and you know, everything is flowing into the Nile River. And, when they, and so Becky graciously, when they canned it to her, said, oh, my stomach's not good. <laughs> and so she didn't drink it, okay? But, um, but look, I mean, that, you think that's like a Lawrence of Arabia picture, right? Um, but that's a bunch of tourists. But that, they, they were, <laughs> that's, um, that's just outside the pyramids. But the, the, so much, I, I wanted a picture that would just picture the aridness. <coughs> and because of that, Remember, what did I say? I want this to remind you that the world is cursed and the earth is not the way it's supposed to be. God's made this land cursed so you can't grow things. You can't have life there. And, and, and you, you know, it really impacts everybody. And so with that, and I say this humbly, the culture of the people who, if we would come up with the doctrine that, that uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, that's not their practice. And, and, and so you, you have a government that is a um, controlling government, and an average man can't go out and support his family. He, you, if you wanted to have ingenuity, and you're going to try, and you're going to really make things go, there's always going to be things that are going to compress you from making a, a good living. And so many people live in these, these apartments. Whoops. Um, they, they live in these apartments up here that are just, you know, maybe a couple hundred, equivalent of a couple a hundred dollars a, uh, a month. But the, the, the economy is such a struggle. And you, and you, it, you watch the people that are what, living like what you would think out of like biblical times. I, whether it was north or south, there were always people with the donkeys and the food and carrying things on the, the um, back of these little wagons. And yet there, were, there are people um, with cars and vans and things like that. And it was just very diverse, but you never saw like pros- a lot of like prosperity. And I, it's part of the curse. The land is gonna be cursed and it, it, it's a cursed economy. And here is a view from what's called the Citadel. It's a giant fort overlooking Cairo. I forget, Cairo, I think, has like 11 million people. And you just look at it, and it almost looks like a dystopian movie. You can't, you, you, you look at this thing, and you sit there and say, are these places even occupied? And we asked our guide, and he said, absolutely they are. There's 11 million people there. And you can't see really well, but at the top of so many of these homes, it, it is, there, there's rebar at the top of the homes. Because, because they live so much in poverty, it's so hard to make life go. So what you do is Mike has, uh, finally gets to be able to build a house. So I build a house, and then I have kids, and I realize that my kids are getting to place. So I, real, I never finished the top floor. And so when my son Joshua gets married, 
He gets to have the top floor. It's his responsibility to put a new, a new home up on the second floor. And if Becky would get married, she'd do, I mean, Ellie would get married, she would put the third floor. That's the way it works there. It's really hard because, to be quite honest, I don't want my kids living on the second floor. <laughs> All right? So, you know, and, 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 and so... Again, why am I showing you this? Because it's just a reminder that the curse is so bad. And then it, it's a different way uh, because they don't have a lot. Of, they don't have like the same ever that I saw a grocery store similar to the type of grocery stores we have. So it doesn't matter whether it was Cairo or Sohag. You're going down the street and the meat's just hanging out like that. All right? And, and, and you know flies around and yet people are are out there buying it and and so you go down there and then th- this shop was almost like right next to it and then there's the fruit and and you just go and you pick up your fruit and then sometimes you wonder how like how um how good is that fruit there's no refrigeration and then you just love this one okay is you, this is the very next one you you go and you can pick out your chicken dinner for the night and I think the chicken dinner is like a, a, a dollar equivalent or two dollars. And for the people who really like to have fun, can you all tell this is the pigeon, okay? And we went to a dinner and they offered us pigeon and I gotta tell you, I decided no pigeon for me. <coughs> I just, I just, you know. And you can see there's cages over here where, where you know, they keep other pigeons, other chickens. But that's just, that's how you do your grocery shopping. But it's all a hard life. The ground is cursed. The economy shows the struggle of it. So because of, <coughs> because of that, um, and because of the fact they don't have the same biblical mindset that we have, life is really different. 100 million people, I don't think this is, this is a slight exaggeration, but there might be five stop um, traffic lights in the entire country. Do you hear what I just said? No stop signs. You go one way, say, okay, this, this is one, this is Phil. He's one of the elders from Blackhawk. He was with us. So I just want to catch this. You, you go one way, all right, and there's no there are no lanes marked, okay? And, and just as a side note, just so you remember, this is the equivalent of a CIA guy. He is with us everywhere. Wherever you go, you're appointed a CIA guy to guard you and watch you. I'll, I'll, t- I'll come back to that. But as you talk about life being cursed and hard, here's an intersection in Cairo. And it's just first come, first serve. It's just like, you know, because many of the roads, like if this was a road going one way, you go all the way down. And you say, you know, from the intersection down here at 165th and 165th and um, Calumet, if I'm on Calumet Avenue, and maybe I want to stop at a place at 175th. If you're not familiar with the locations in Hammond on Calumet Avenue, you can go all the way down. You, it's maybe like half a mile at 175th. Because it's, if Calumet was all one way, 
anything before that, you can't make a left turn. You can't make a left turn on 169th. You can't make a left turn on 161st. You got to go all the way to Munster, go to Jewel, okay? Then get in a roundabout and work your way back, all right? But sometimes there were places that actually intersected. And, and, and so the majority of them were just like I described. And I can't tell you how many times we went another mile out of the way to make, like we would be right here and the place we wanted to go was right here, but we had to go down the jewel to come back to come right here because it's all one way. But part of it, remember, this is a, I'm talking, trying to understand how life is cursed. Life is under a curse and there's no semblance of like order if you're away from a biblical model. And I want to point out like, you can see, you can see these kids on these mopeds, and there's all these like little like vehicles, and and because remember, there's no lanes, there are no lanes. There people are honking all the time and honk 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 honk, and when you're there, the first you know couple days, you're like whoa whoa whoa, we almost got hit, we almost got hit, and a lot of the cars do have little you know bumps and bruises, but it some of it becomes absolutely laughable because you can't believe, wow, that truck or that bus almost hit that, hit that little vehicle. And the way that, you know, we struggle with the fact sometimes that we're told to wear seatbelts in America, but I can't tell you how many times you can see, like, this looks like a young man, and I think that's a, either, a, well, I can't tell if, if that's a man behind him, but I can tell you I've seen numerous people who are like, 20-year-olds, married, wife's on the back, and they're carrying the baby, just, uh, you know, going down the road. And again, you, it's, it's laughable, but the night that we separated from Carl, and Becky and I went left, dropped Carl off, three minutes after that, I said, hey, Becky, look, there's an accident, because, you know, because you really don't see a lot of accidents. And then I saw, like, a 17-year-old boy dead in the street, pool of blood. It was just absolutely horrendous, and his other friend being caressed so it's it's painful it's a cursed it's a very cursed society i think so genesis 3 the curse on the ground is evident second the the curse of the language barriers the majority of people speak arabic right (coughs) and here's the thing when we met with the leader of of uh so hag not only just the city but the area he was like dr wagi did we have dr wagi here yes there was a man um his name is dr wagi and he is basically in charge of like 90 churches in this area and only like 20 of these churches think about almost the entire half north half of the state of indiana and and i said I'm in charge, and I, I know there's like 90 churches, and only 20 of them have pastors. And so I would say, Wyatt, I need you to preach at five of these. And I'd put Jason at one, and I, I'd put you know, Ben at another. And, and, and we'd try to do whatever we could to try to get these other 70 churches pastors. They don't have that. And I think so many Americans could go over there, but the reality of it is, is we as Americans can't speak Arabic very well, and you can't have translators. One of the things that we found, and I spoke, Mark spoke, Carl spoke, is the reality of is when you speak through a translator, aspects of the message is lost. 
Mark had the opportunity to speak. This is him speaking to about 500 Sudanese refugees, mainly women I'm going to talk to you about. And the reality was he had spent an hour with this translator who was, is a believer who's trying to do their best to try to, to make sure that when Mark used the word reconciliation or gospel or sin, that they were the same words that, and had the same meaning. And when it was all said and done, Mark was exasperated. He felt like it fell short. And I think that was something we all felt. And it's so hard because there's all these people you want to share with that you can't. What is Genesis 11? If, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. It's the Tower of Babel, people. And God brought that as a curse on humanity so that we wouldn't all be on the same page. And, and when you see it like in this situation, a situation like this, where more than anything you want to get the gospel out, and you can't, and you can't be there to be a pastor or be someone that ministers to these people because you can only smile at them, it's exasperating. And it's part of the fact that's a reminder that the curse is out there. The only answer for this The only answer for both of these, the Genesis 3, the Genesis 11, is the return of Jesus Christ. I'd say put in your notes, remember, those who love the return of Jesus Christ are going to get a crown. The only answer for ever reversing this, until the day we die, we're going to struggle with this reality. And my trip to Egypt is a reminder that these curses are out there. Second, I want you to understand how wicked man's heart is. I think when you go to Egypt... There's a, there, there is an awareness that maybe, you know, by going into a new culture, you're going you're gonna to see some evil. And so this is where, you know, Jeremiah 17, if you're taking notes, says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Well, let me just tell you, this is why what you see. You see the ancient and, 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 and Egyptian and current Muslim religions. Let me just talk about this in the fact that, look, when... God split humanity at the Tower of Babel. That's not a myth. And it's a true reality. After the Tower of Babel, the people scattered all over the world. But it was the Egyptians who, for some reason, things click. And they all are able to move their society farther than any other one. But you know what they're doing in Egypt? They're saying, forget you, God. I could use a hard word, but their entire religion is a, you know, it's interesting to hear about Ra and Isis and Osiris and all the different stories with Horus. And, and wherever we went, we saw the hieroglyphics, okay? And for those of you who saw the movie, you know, that I referenced earlier, this is the big temple that's in the south, okay? But all of these people, all of these are gods to these people. And, 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 you, and for me, as a believer, everywhere I went where the guide is like, oh, and, and this is this, this, this God, and this is this God, and this is this you know, Pharaoh who was also thought of as a God, it's a reminder to me, they're saying, God, the true God, forget you. We don't want you. We've turned to this whole system where they've made these gods have the same faults as humans, where Isis and Osiris and Horus all have attributes of a human that was faulty, and this is the way they think God is. So it was a constant reminder to me, the temples are amazing because you can't believe how big they are, you can't believe how massive these statues are, but they're all thumbing their nose at our God. Let's never forget that. 
And then, and then, you know, we got, there, there's a new museum, it's called the um, Civilization Museum, and in it, it's fascinating, they have so many of the mummies of the pharaohs, like, in successive order, and, and you're not allowed to take pictures, but they have this giant room that is showing you the pictures of the, of, of the mummy, so Be- Becky took this picture, I don't know which pharaoh this is, <coughs> but let's never forget Looking at a mummy, and I got to look even at King Tut's mummy later, why are these people mummified? They're mummified because they're put into these temples all with the hope that they're going to resurrect and, and have all their gold and have all their stuff because they don't believe in, in our God and, and the afterlife that our God is going to give. And so it was just a good reminder to me of how, again, they have no hope of the resurrection, and they didn't have any hope of any afterlife with our God. And then, you know, it gets kind of crazy because, because you, for those of you who know, the 10 plagues that Moses put on Egypt, every one of them was directed at a God, <coughs> and at, whether it's the fleas or the grasshoppers. Well, there are hieroglyphics of where they worship crocodiles and these are all mummified crocodiles and, and and you know they would have a crocodile and they would worship it and then when it would die because it's their god they would put it in a, you know in, in, into a mummy form and there 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 was a whole bunch of them all right so it was just it's just sad but also not only is the ancient religion system bad but this is me in the middle of a giant mosque and listen, wherever you went throughout Egypt, the call to prayer four or five times a day, you hear this resonate throughout the entire, the entire community. The way that they, they have, they, they have the, the, the mosque and the minarets all through the community, and then the dress and the, and the style of, of life, it's all promoting Islam. And if you're unaware, Islam is a religion that is works-based, there is no peace, we had an opportunity to share the gospel with our guide. He has no peace. He is frustrated. He, he won't turn to Christ. But it's just a reminder of the wickedness of man's heart. You've got to remember, if you're going to a workspace system, you're saying, I don't care what you're providing, God, because we believe that by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, right? It's the gift of God. But a workspace religion says, no, I can do it on my own. And everything in that culture is we're going to do it on our own. We're going to earn our way through our works to get favor from Allah. And so being in a giant mosque like this, and it was kind of like under construction, there was doing some work, it was just a reminder was a reminder wherever we went that these are everywhere and these people are thumbing their nose to our God. Now, you see this guy? You remember him earlier? He's our CIA agent. He's everywhere we go, all right? So number one is the ancient and current Muslim religions. Two, all right, the oppressive controlling government in a police state. They live in a dictatorship. 
wherever they wherever you go you're constantly going through police checkpoints i believe i went through 150 different police checkpoints every time you went to a temple every time you went into maybe even sometimes a restaurant you had to go through a police a, a, a scanner you had to throw your luggage sometimes your bags into a bag check my goodness i just flew this morning on in the airport i hated doing it once think about it doing it 10 times in a day everywhere you go sometimes the it, they were really lax and the buzzers would go off and they wouldn't even care. And it's part of going back to the sense, think about this. Think about the fact most of you, if you have, if you're a man and you're gonna support your family, what they do is they give you a job the equivalent of $300 a month, and you sit outside, you sit outside the temple, and that's your job to guard it all day. That's all you do. That's all you do, and you can't get higher, you can't get lower in, in, in work. We went to the um, Aswan Dam, and it's almost like going to Munster Park, okay? And, and it's as tranquil as anything, and there's a young man, and he sits in a tank with a machine gun all day. Do you know how heart-wrenching that is? So you go through this thing, and everywhere we went, we were given a police escort because, because of the Arab Spring, and they want to guard Americans. I told you about this before. And this is us. We're going to visit a church and in a remote village. And so we're given permission to go visit it, but we've got, think about this, We've got two guys here, I believe, with full machine guns. We've got two guys behind us with machine guns. We've got this police court ahead of us, and we've got a CIA, equivalent CIA agent in the bus with us, okay? And I eventually told my guy, don't you just get sick of living like this? I mean, wouldn't you get sick of that? And he goes, what are you talking about? This is life. I said, it wouldn't fly in America. He goes, why not? Why don't you guys, you know, live like that? And, and here's us, like, 10 o'clock at night, just going on, going on, the, on the train, and full military, everywhere you go, constantly watching you, all right? So this, it was our guide, Ahmad, and I gave him the gospel. You can pray for him, that's a side. But what is he holding up? On Wednesday, after 10, 12 days there, um, we were gonna go down to see that Abu Simple where the death and denial scene was filmed and he tells Becky yeah you got to be up at 4 30 now we've been getting up at 6 and 5 and he says no you got to be in the car at 4 30 and Becky goes oh man I don't know I've seen a lot I don't know if I want to go you know what he says uh-uh I've and he shows me this the next day because they've reported it to the police and the police expect us to be at Abu Simple on Thursday and he's showing us, what he's showing is, I've given them your entire itinerary, and if you don't show up, then I get in trouble. And, he, and there are people that get kicked out of the country because they don't do what they're supposed to do. Think about what, think about that. This is the wickedness. Why is this the wickedness of man's heart? Because it's controlling. When a government gets to the point where it's oppressive like that, that's wicked, people. All right? So oppressive controlling governments, they, Muslims killing Christian converts, this is happening. They, they kill people who become believers in Jesus Christ. And, I've, and this is a man who is one of the most faithful men I've ever met, and I'm not putting his name up there, but you have to know this man went to prison multiple times for the evil act of just having a Bible. And they killed his sister, okay? 
and he stayed faithful. And that's what you have to understand. That's the wickedness of man's heart. Then, as we go on, they not only they kill Christians, they make life difficult for Christians. If you become a Christian, you cannot move up in the company. You cannot have a government police job. You can't do a lot of things. And one of the things <coughs> you can't do is get licenses to do things. You can't get permission to do things. And one of the miracles that we saw, the reason I put this is, is Sohag is rebuilding its city and they gave the, commu- they gave the church the right to have a new building. And you got to believe me, this is like a miracle for them. You have to understand, let's say this was a wall over here, okay? And let's say this part of the, we bought this building, but then we bought another building that was on the other side of this wall. The church in Sohag, I think one of the churches we were there, for like 40 years, let make myself clear. If I wanted to do some renovation in a church, it, I go down, Pastor Mike, I'm gonna go down and get a permit. They'll tell me 40 years. They'll keep me waiting. So when the Arab Spring happened, these guys, the elders of the church would be like all of a sudden, you know, Paul Tiemann's called me up and said, Mike, there's the revolution going. The police are all occupied. Let's all get everyone with their sledgehammers. Let's get down to the, let's get down to the church right now. And that's what they did. In the middle of the night, they knocked the wall out. And then the next day, two, three days when the riot was all over, then they got called in and the police said, wait a second. You know, we know what you did. And the guy, but by that time it was too late. That's the type of... <laughs> way they make life, life difficult, okay? This was a church that we visited. I'm just going to go through this quickly. This was in a remote village. We, you can see this is our police escort. And we went into this, and there's Carl. We went into this church that has about 75 people. And you can see it's, it seems to be like in a lot of disrepair. <laughs> That's the elder there. That's Joseph Sammy who's been here. That's a pastor from... Um, a church in, in Fort Wayne. This is the head pastor of, um, of the local church. But this church looks like in disarray because you can't get permits to, to fix it. All right? They make life difficult for Christians. It's a society physically evil to women. I had the opportunity to preach to about 150 women trying to tell them about the liberality, the blessings that Christianity brings. It's, I, I, gave, I put that message on our YouTube video from, a, I think, a couple weeks ago. If you're interested in hearing the message I, I brought to them, you get the fuller message. But you have to understand, in, in a majority, in majority society, women are treated as property. Women are allowed to be beaten. Sometimes women are allowed to be killed for the fact that they aren't coming alongside. And it would be really hard, like if, if my wife converted to Christianity and I'm part of the majority, oh my goodness, look out. And that's one of the things they're trying to do is the church there is get these people out of, of the area. So here we go. This is some of the women that I, I spoke to. And some of these women, you have to understand, they don't have a husband because when you got to understand how wicked this society is. Let's say I'm struggling and I've got a daughter and I realize that I need to get my daughter. My daughter can go to work. There's a local shop that will hire her. And, and if, I make that, if I make that decision, let's say she's 12, 13, 14, I am telling the shop owner he's allowed to have his way with her. 
And that's why many of these women don't have husbands because it's allowable in the society. The shop owner is a given the permission. You know how wicked that is? Let alone, and I'll use this expression, anybody wants to under, explain this, because I did talk to them about it. They practice female circumcision, and it's one of the most evil and vile things. When it was all done with my message, my interpreter came up to me and said, look, I think in our areas we're getting this under control, but it's been an ongoing evil that's been practiced in Egypt. Okay, and if you don't understand it, you can talk to me afterwards. It's vile, okay? Here, Carl had the opportunity to talk to. These are, we had about 500 Sudanese refugees and the opportunity to talk to, many of these were women and many of them had been sexually abused, had been beaten because that's what happens in that society, okay? So great message that Carl gave out of John 4. It's a society that's physically evil to women. It's a society that oppresses women. Now you think, what are I talking about? You, because it's just, it's, it's not biblical. So they believe you, you don't have to ever educate women. You don't have to ever have, have the women, you know, do anything out of, the, out of the home. And then the very fact that they have to wear the, the, the some of them have to wear the garments, the, the, the full hajib, I think if I'm saying it right. Here, this is the Red Sea. It's a 95 degree day, okay? And they're out swimming. That's evil, people. That's, that's wickedness of the heart, okay? Let alone the way they treat their children, the way they, they treat their daughters. It, it's, they oppress, okay? It's a society that oppresses. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a trust church where you, 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 they cannot trust the converts. And I should say majority converts because what happens is that this is the seminary professor um, seminary president, and he's struggling with the fact that some of these 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 pastors are preaching, and um, they're being told on. And I, 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 let me I want to quickly go through this. Here he's just talking about the fact we're meeting at the headquarters in Alexandria, and they're, they're, they can't get people to be um, pastors to over these churches with the with the majority. The only answer is the gospel. <laughs> and that's why we just got to keep praying that the gospel can change this country and it change these people. Lastly, you, this is where I wanted to really challenge us. You, we can mimic the Egyptian church. Number one, we can have the same joy that they have. I went church place after place after place. These people were just so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you understand the fact that we're born again and we have an eternity secure for us in Jesus Christ, it, it resonates, and these people were just so thankful. And, and I had hundreds of pictures. I, because of time's sake, and I'm trying to move through quickly, I want you to see their joy. Look at this man. I mean, this is his family. I met him. Um, his children, they're dressed. They look like Americans, right? And they're not dressed in the garb. They're not suppressed. And there's just incredible joy in the church in Egypt. But also, they have the same... They, they have an incredible passion to evangelize. And they go out, and we got to go to an event. Here's um, 
there's Carl back there, there's Becky, this is Phil. Um, but this was an event where they reached out, often similar to how things that we do, where, you know, like we have uh, our Thanksgiving dinner. This was an event where they brought in many of these women who had been physically abused, and they gave them a lunch, and they gave him some Tupperware, because, look, they don't have a lot of these women, because of the situation they have, they've got no man to provide for them because nobody wants them anymore. So they do whatever they can to reach these people. And, 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 and we can mimic that. We can have the same passion. They all, this is a song they sang. Look at this song. So there, there it is up in Arabic. But some of them, want, they gave the words for us. And so it doesn't flow as wonderfully as an English song. But some of them want to live inside a church, speaking about Christians, hear a voice and they ring its bells. As for me, I want to run to save a person a meter away from hell. And, and the next line was, and what I discovered, the mission is not only outside Egypt or the local church. The real mission begins with getting out of yourself and dying from you, complete reliance on God and total confidence in this person. Um, basically going into your home, out of your home, your job, your studies, your street. All right? Have the same passion. Have the same willingness to suffer. <coughs> like I said, you become a believer, you put a big X on your, on, on your back. This is a pastor, and this is a pastor. Now listen, they, when they preach, there are spies in the congregation. So the pastor could preach something on Sunday, and then they don't know who reports it. And then they get a call from the police. Hey, we heard what you said yesterday. You got to come down, and we're going to talk about it. And they make life very difficult for these men. These guys are just, you know, part of, that's just one example of how they make life difficult for these people. All right? And here's a man from Sudan. He was about 12, 13 years old when he was captured by the majority and put into a labor camp and made to convert to the majority religion. By God's grace, his brother found him like four or five years later and helped him escape. And he's a a, a faithful Christian today, all right? So yeah, you suffer a lot over there. Then they have the same commitment. They have an incredible commitment to fellowship. This was late at night. There's Becky up here. Um, There's Jeannie Flagey. Um, uh, there's Phil's wife. There's some women from the, from the trip. But the reality is that we just saw when they had an event, they stuck around. This is late at night. They could have all just served this dinner and left, but they stayed. And I just want you to look at this and remember, they, when, the fellowship of the saints is so precious. And they realized that. Let's realize the same thing. And then they, they so not only have the same commitment to fellowship, they have the same commitment to serve um, here for our sound people, okay? This was a sound booth. <coughs> I was told it's really high tech there. But listen, in so many areas, so many ways, similar to what you guys do, they serve. And you just saw it in everywhere because they're not wealthy churches and, and they need people to all come alongside and play a part. We're not a wealthy church. We need everyone to come apart, come alongside. When you serve, it's, you're, you're, you're modeling what these guys are doing to an nth degree. So I just commend our church, but we want to have the same level of service. And then they have the same level, to have an incredible level of creativity. (sighs) Okay, I want to show you. We're going to go to heaven. This man here 
This is his wife. This is one of his top assistants. This is Jeannie Flagey. This man is the guy that when he, he goes into the Sudanese refugee camp and he'll say, look, I'm going to rent I'm going to rent the park. And, and what he'll do is get a park and he'll raise the funds and he'll find food to feed 500 people. He'll bring in medical doctors. He'll bring in games. The day we were there, we had gotten to this location and kids that had never seen a swimming pool, never seen a playground, he arranged the entire day. And that's the day Carl spoke to this group. This man is doing like things like this throughout the entire Middle East. Some of you remember there was a Beirut bombing. Remember, it was like a fertilizer plant, and it, and it blew up. This is the what, when I talk about creativity, what did I have up there? I had, we can have the same type of creativity. This is a guy, his name is, his, that's his name. He sees that on the news, and what he does is he booked a plane ticket to Beirut the next day, and he organized, he organized the fact that we're going to reach out to these people that have just suffered. And he brought them food, he brought them doctors. And that's also tied into bringing them the gospel. And so that's this guy. And here's some of the women that, that were in the refugee camp. They're, you know, um, and, and it's really wild. They're dressed really nice. It's because they, they are getting UN donations, the, the clothes. All right. And then Becky was teaching. This boy had never seen a, a bubble gun and, and, and so Becky was spending time with him. But here is the congregation. That's Bassam in the middle. And this is the group that Carl spoke to. All right. Like, we're not going to have communion today. All right. I just decided. You guys can be mad at me, but we're not having communion today. But, okay. Can everybody read what this says? Can everybody see that? No. It's, it's a, this, is a, this is a bookstore in Cairo. To be in, to be a church there, you have to be licensed. A church is not allowed to give out literature, all right? You're not allowed to give out literature. This location is able to give out literature. And what that meant was, like, and let me get to the outside of it. This is the outside courtyard looking in, and you may not be able to see, it didn't show up really well, but that's a big screen TV, and it's showing the Jesus film. So you know Campus Crusade came up with the Jesus film? They're showing it nonstop. And, and so here I am. I'm not allowed. If, a, if, a, if I'm a pastor and I went out on the street and I handed out literature, I get arrested. This store, you can go in and you can get Christian literature. They can give it to you for free because they're a licensed bookstore. All right? This place is one of the number one places in the entire country. This, what would look like an innocent bookstore is giving out literature and leading maybe two to 500 people a year out of the majority to faith, okay? It's amazing. And here is like where we got to go. No, go back, can't go back, can't go back. We... We got to go to the upper, there's an upper room up here, and we were shown how people are coming in there. And I'm not crazy about this, one, and so this just shows you that sometimes I'll make myself very vulnerable, all right? So you understand doctrinally, because I don't like to go down these paths. But the, the, the week before, the store owner talked about a man in Syria who had a dream where Jesus appeared to him and told his son, Go to this bookstore, 
get literature on Jesus. And the, and the young boy came, did what his dad said, and went there and got saved. And what we're finding out is that, yes, people are having dreams in the Middle East. They're not getting the gospel in the dreams. They're getting told, go talk to this man. Go talk to this neighbor. Go to the bookstore. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that exciting, though, to know that stuff like that's happening? So this was, this was one of the most remarkable. If you talk to Carl, because Becky wasn't allowed to go. If you talk to Carl, he'll tell you we were just we were just overwhelmed. We were numb to be as the store owner was telling us the stories of what is happening. Now, this was early on in the trip, and like I said, I was blown away because I'm thinking, "Wow, this is great. Let's embrace these majority people." But you can't trust them because it'd be just like I'm preaching right now. One of you is going to call the police on Monday, and that's what they're doing. You just don't know who's doing it. So they're really apprehensive. So you can pray for peace amongst the people who are genuine. Can you imagine being a believer coming to our church and they're saying, I just don't think we, we welcome you. We, you just, we just don't think uh, we can trust you. But because you've seen people, you've seen your sister killed, you've seen your brother go into a concentration camp, it's not like you're, it's in a vacuum. It's not like these people are just like saying, well, you know, we don't like majority people. We have a history. We, we've seen our brothers and sisters disappear. We've seen people killed. So there you go. All right. So this is what I want us to do. Let's understand how the curses have impacted, God's curses have impacted Egypt. We live in this world, and we understand that Man's heart is incredibly wicked by all the things I showed you tonight. And I'm willing to talk to you about any of that if you want more information. But we also, we also have to realize they are living so faithfully. And, and we're doing some, so much of the same thing. But let's just keep on doing it. Let's mimic the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you <coughs> for the patience that people had in listening to me and going through these slides and I'm hoping that today was an inspiration and a blessing to them. And I pray, Lord, that, that as we think through what these images gave us of what's going on in Egypt, Father, that we will be a people that will say, that we will say, look, we're going to remember this is a fallen world. We're not going to get trapped up in the, the American reality that everything is swelling smooth when a good portion of the, of the world is facing economic hardship and difficulty, and so much of the world is based in the, on a, a society that has totally rejected God, we're thankful for our American history, and we're thankful for what our, our history has been rooted in. But it's not perfect, but it's far different than being rooted in a Muslim culture. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters that are believers in Egypt. Right now, they're preaching messages, and they don't know if they're going to be killed for their faith, taken away from their families, put in bad situations. <coughs> and God, it's hard. It's very difficult. It's a different world. Nothing that we're used to. And then lastly, as we think about the way these people just are overwhelmed with the salvation they have and how they are going to put their necks out for other people. I pray, God, that we who don't have the same restrictions would be more emboldened to be more faithful, to go out and reach the world and to serve because we recognize that we can take advantage of 
the freedoms that we have in America to be all that you want the church to be. May we mimic the Egyptian church so faithfully. The times of ignorance are over. May we boldly now tell people about Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.